The Game of Zen explores the often overlooked ways in which professional, personal, and spiritual growth are interrelated. We dive deep into the life teachings of the Buddha and the mindfulness practices of Zen, revealing how they can help us dramatically expand our possibilities for wholehearted work, life, and play. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of the Game of Zen podcast. This episode is titled The Cure for What Ails Us, The True Path to Happiness and Success. And I'm here with my teacher and friend, Sensei Paul. How are you doing today, Paul? I'm doing really well, Scott. It's good to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So today's topic, we're going to talk about the third and fourth noble truths of Buddhism and the noble eightfold path. Uh, these will describe the root causes of our unhappiness. And we see that our efforts, you know, to resist really end up leaving us feeling out of joint. And so we're going to look back at the first, second and third noble truths, which talk about what's next. So I'm going to list the eightfold path and then you're going to tell us what they mean. So we have right view, right intention, right action, right speech and right livelihood, right effort right mindfulness, and right concentration. And there's a great quote from the Buddha, which says that following the noble path is like entering a dark room with a light in the hand. The darkness will be cleared away and the room will be filled with light. So Paul, tell us more about what that means. Yeah. So first off, uh, it's pretty enticing, isn't it? We've got a dark room and a lot of us feel like we're moving through the world, you know, in confusion. Uh, all of us are really looking to find our way. And here's a teaching that comes in that says, oh, if you pay attention to these things, you know, you're really going to have some clarity and be able to work with agency and purpose. So it's, it's um, I think it's encouraging, you know, just to hear these right off the bat, that there's something that can help us with these conditions of suffering and unhappiness. And then it also might feel a little daunting, right? We've got these eight, eight dimensions that we have to look at. Um, so let's get into it and, and kind of look in more detail on what the Buddha understood to be the most important things here. Um, so right view means gaining a clear perspective on the world and on yourself. Right intention means cultivating a positive mindset. You can look at it that way. Right action is ethical practices in business and life. Right speech is communicating mindfully. Right livelihood is embracing purposeful work. Right effort is cultivating perseverance and resilience. Right mindfulness is being present all day, every day. And right concentration is focusing the mind. So these are traditionally grouped into three groups. Um, the first group, uh, view, intention, and speech has to do with insight. Um, I'm sorry, view and intention has to do with insight, um, speech, action, livelihood have to do with conduct and then understanding and mindfulness and concentration have to do with the, these kind of meditative dimensions. So we've got a, a matrix of ways of being that apply to both inner and outer uh, thoughts and um, behaviors, uh, so inner inner thoughts and feelings and how we handle internals 
and um, external behaviors, right? Speeches and the way we interact with people. So it's quite comprehensive across these dimensions. And so we have a nice, a nice kind of um, terrain, you know, a curriculum even, if you will, of how to approach our lives in a way that really can um, produce uh, less suffering, greater happiness, and ultimately greater fulfillment in our lives. So we'll talk a little bit about what right means. You know, that's kind of an interesting word. It's a translation, but what does it mean to be right? I'll, 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 I'll say now that it doesn't mean uh, thou shalt not or thou shalt, you know, yeah. do it this way. It has to do more with being in alignment. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so what I find really fascinating about it is, you know, and if you remember, we talked about the second noble truth is that the causes of our suffering fear, anxiety, attachment, craving, and we know they exist and we recognize them. So the Noble Eightfold Path then provides a roadmap for these ailments. And it's like kind of like a matrix of how to get by um, based on each thing that comes up in your life. And so I really liked, Paul, you talked a lot about a medical analogy about, you know, we have an ailment, we go to the doctor, we get a cure. So how does the Eightfold Path provide that cure for us? Yeah, so it, it's pretty interesting. I think we talked about this in the last episode that there's a little bit of a twist in the medical analogy. The normal um, sequence of operations is there's a symptom, then you get a diagnosis, then you get a treatment plan, and then if you follow the treatment plan, you get a cure. Well, the Four Noble Truths uh, swap these last two. We've got the symptom, which is life is suffering. That's the first noble truth. We've got the diagnosis, oh, this suffering is caused by craving, aversion, and delusion, right? Then the third noble truth, instead of being the treatment, is, well, there's an end to suffering. So it's, it, it names the cure, it names the possibility of the cure, but then the fourth one is the treatment, and that's the Eightfold Path. And one um, significance of uh, you know, this swap is that the treatment is endless. <laughs> the cure is real. Okay. We really can transform our suffering. Um, and yet it's not a one and done kind of thing. It's perpetual. It's every day. It's every moment, which makes it really um, interesting and always relevant because it's always part of our life and maybe frustrating that we can never ultimately get to some level of complete perfection or, or completion or even success or happiness, that it's always a, a work in progress, always. Yeah, and what I what I also like about it too, though, is that there's uh, the more that I learn about the Eightfold Path, the more I apply it to specific situations. So something comes up and I identify, you know, a cause of suffering, and then I know that, you know, I'll, I'll apply right speech in this situation or right meditation and, and work through it. And so I think I've gotten better at figuring out which part can be identify which problem. And I think that's really important because, you know, we're always faced with these situations. As you said, they don't stop happening, but right. our ability to deal with them improves in each situation. So we really need to understand how to identify which part of the path works yeah. and then you can apply it and then you get over it a lot quicker. So, um, so let me ask you this question, Paul, like how do we, you know, how do we define what, what success is in business? And, and because I, I find in the course of my work career that these things happen like all the time, 
you know, being in venture capital, there's always challenges and there's always each company. So how do we look at success and then use the eightfold path to make us feel better about where we're at? Yeah, well, the, our tendency is to look at uh, both happiness and success as as a goal of something that we're going to get, right? We're, we're going to get it and then we're going to have it. And the, 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 the Zen way of looking at these things is that success is something that you manifest. It's something that you become in a way, okay? You, you become successful or you become happy. And that can change because everything is changing. So you can become unsuccessful and you can become unhappy. Um, but you can never have happiness or have success. And from a, so from a personal dimension, you know, this is really important um, to understand because we're, we tend to crave, you know, conditions or states. So we seek conditions or states, but everything is impermanent. Everything is always changing. So good states will pass and bad states will pass and nothing will ever be, be permanent or lasting. So to be in alignment with this truth of the reality of our human nature is to understand that that's, to, that's the case and to, you know, you could say, enjoy the process, right? As kind of a simplistic way of putting it. But what does that really mean? I mean, really throw yourself into the process, really um, fully engage with all the aspects of your self, your life and your work. Yeah. So then success in work doesn't become hitting a financial goal mm -hmm. or having a merger, acquisition, IPO, exit, any of these things. Um, it has to do with the felt sense of being whole and integrous and bringing forth a purposeful creation into the world. Yeah. And I think um, a couple thoughts there. Uh, first of all, another quote, I, I, you know, I like my quotes from uh, Thich Nhat Hanh and, and it says, happiness is not a destination. Happiness is the way. Yeah. So I really like that because, you know, we all think like if, if this happens, I'll be happier. If that happens, I'll be happier. Yeah. Um, but you realize that, you know, really just being happy with whatever situation you have is really the way to approach it. And so I've gotten better at that. And, you know, I also think about in business, you know, the, the value of understanding impermanence. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no business that stays the same day after day. And you have good years and bad years. You have good months and bad months. And so I've gotten used to that over time. And I've, I've, been, I've been okay with it, actually. Uh, in the beginning of my career, I wasn't so much okay with it. And now I have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite a, a living kind of way of being, you know, this path. It isn't like a, an itinerary with stops and you're, you're going to, you know, make progress and then you're finally going to get to the end point. It's, it's really a process that's completely always unfolding where each step, in a sense, you know, determines what the next step is. But your uh, lodestone, your North Star is towards wholeness and integrity. Mm -hmm. That's what that's what you want to do. And I think another aspect that you're you're touching on here too is how th this path is a very personal path. You know, it isn't success as defined by externals or by society. It isn't happiness as defined by externals or society. It's it's very personal to you. You will take happiness in things that other people may not find happiness in, and you may find success 
in in operating in ways that other people you know wouldn't wouldn't find successful it's very much that way so when you look at these uh the the eight paths that we're talking about here speech action livelihood intention these are all you you're in complete charge of all of these things no matter what you do no matter what kind of lifestyle you're living these apply to that yeah and i think it's really important to figure out like what's important to you and and because the the idea of success sometimes is defined by society or by your neighborhood or by your peers or by a business that you're in like if you're not the number one business in your space but you're the number four business are you successful probably right. i always use the analogy of the the guys that invented yahoo did pretty well you know they 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 weren't quite google but they did okay you know over the years right um, and so, you know, there's everything is relative. There's always going to be people that are more successful financially than you. And there's always going to be, be people that are less, you know, and the same goes with every business, you know. But also I was thinking of something else, too, with uh, the idea of likes on social media and the reinforcement of other people to what I'm putting out there. And we all like we all put stuff on social media and it feels good when someone likes your post. And, and you, you log in and you're like, I have 27 new likes and it feels great. But how do you sort of separate the, you know, the desire for that with the attachment to that as a, as a goal? Yeah, your um, noting of the relativity of, of these things and how our judgments are, are completely relative. They're completely comparative is, is a really important one, right? It's like even the Yahoo example. It's like, so Yahoo was considered the, the, absolute highest success, you know, in their heyday, I'm going to say what, oh, two or something, maybe, um, you know, they were the cat's pajamas, they had the most eyeballs, they had done it right. Uh, Web 1.0, everybody wanted to be them. Well, you know, fast forward 18, 15 years, and they're like, oops, they missed the boat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're, they're like, uh, I don't know, so, sold off for pocket change, you know. Um, so, you know, what do you what are you going to say? Uh, all of the all of the big uh, successes that are that are respected now in the stock market, you know, they'll probably be disrupted or disaggregated down the line. So it's only about um, in the moment um, what is what is really wholesome and, and fulfilling. That's that's where you're going to find the most fulfillment and success and happiness is to tune in to what is calling for you right now in your life that you can meet wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think one of the things I like about, you know, getting coaching from you and what you do for every client of yours is different. They have a different business and different challenges, but you're, you're able to sort of bring these theories in and to help them get through whatever's happening, you know, and some of them are changing their careers. Some of them are, are doing extremely well financially, but they still need the guidance. And so how do you, how have you over your entrepreneurial career, dealt with the ups and downs and the changes and the pivots that happen in every single business? Well, the Eightfold Path is, is the answer to that question. It's really realizing that every one of those eight is important, right? So, you know, the, the, I guess the first thing is just to say, don't ever think you really know what's good news and what's bad news. <laughs> <laughs> right there's there's a there's a famous zen story which maybe would be relevant to share now it's called mr size horse and uh 
Mr. Psy had a horse, which, uh, which ran away. So all of his neighbors said, oh, oh my God, it's so, it's so, you know, terrible that, that your horse ran away. And he said, really, is that so? Okay. Okay. Well, the horse, uh, a week later comes back carrying, uh, another four or five horses in its wake that he hooked up with and said, Hey, let's get back to size place. You know, he's got a good thing going there. So they show up and now he's got five horses and his neighbors go, Oh my God, what good fortune, what good fortune you're able to, you, you've got all these, all these horses now. And he goes, is that so? Is that so? We'll see. We'll, we'll see. Okay. Now, uh, let's see. Next is, uh, the, 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 um, Mr. Sai's son gets on a horse and he's working the field and he's thrown from the horse and he breaks his leg. And this is, this is a calamity for, you know, a farmer in China, right. To have the eldest son, you know, lose, lose his capacity. There's all the neighbors are over. Oh my God, your son can't help you anymore in the fields. Oh my God. What bad news. How terrible. Is that so? Is that so? We'll see. The army comes through conscripting all the young men to go off to the army and Mr. Sai's son doesn't have to go because of his broken leg. Mm-hmm. So you see, you see the pattern here. So we don't know. Yeah, we really can't know. And so, so that's the main thing or, or one of maybe the main things in terms of the emotional posture to hold with respect to the so-called ups and downs mm-hmm. of a work career or an entrepreneurial career is that you never really know whether it is, you know, good or bad and eventually things will play out in certain ways. Now, if you apply a discipline of right speech, right view, right intention, right action, right livelihood to your life, you're now establishing the terrain. You're you're establishing your own um, internal guide for what is meaningful, what is say good, I'm not going to say good luck, because we're not going to say good luck. But what is fortune? What is fortune? What is good? What is the right way you want to operate? It's the way that's in alignment. And that is wholehearted with respect to your overall life. Yeah, great story. I love it. And part of what I like about that is the just not knowing, you know, we, we all, we, you know, we all think we know where something's going to go. And then the only constant is change. Things are going to happen and you're going to have to pivot and change. And, you know, in my career uh, in venture capital, um, I've, there's a lot of challenges. It's a roller coaster ride. And I've had to adjust my expectations on a lot of things first individually for the companies we've invested in, but also just as a whole, you know, in the venture community. And like I had a certain expectations of timing and I've been wrong a lot of the time about when thing, you know, when this company might have an exit or when this company might merge with another company and so on. And so um, in the beginning, when this was happening, it would upset me and I would be like, wow, I thought by now, like this company would be in better shape. But well, now, you know, with the, the training and the eightfold path, like, I'm dealing with the roller coaster much better. I know it's going up and down. I know the waves are coming in and out. And so, you know, I'm reframing what success means a day to day. And it's really helped me, you know, and and I know things are going to continue to change and I hope for the best every day, but you just never really know. You never really know. You know, you you said something earlier, which uh, is really rich. It was that you kind of apply the, you know, different aspects at different times. Right. And you can always wonder, it's like, well, you feel called to say something. Right. And then, and then you say something, say it's in a a sales meeting, right. And you want to encourage your sales team in a certain way. 
and and you do, but maybe you uh, you overstate you know, the matter and it ends up discouraging your whole sales team. So you look at it and you go, okay, that wasn't right speech. You know, I just wasn't, I wasn't really in, in a place where I was um, connected, you know, to them as, as humans or, or something like that. You know, you, you kind of evaluate it. So, so now what, okay, how about some right action, you know, shift in and maybe you can, you can address that by uh, um, give, giving them some incentives or, or by going back and apologizing and saying, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I, I want to restate what I said. So, so it's, they're very dynamic, I guess I'd put it that way. Yeah. And uh, right speech is really important in business, obviously. And, and it has to do with messaging and, and it's, how do you speak about yourself? How do you speak about your market, your competitors, your employees and things like that? And so thinking about your speech is super important. Every meeting you go into and every interaction that you have, it's really important. And so one of the, the other things that's helped me a lot is that the more I understand how this stuff applies to myself, the more I can actually help other people. And really direct, you know, guide them and teach them and coach them on how to bring right speech and right action into their own activities. This is why I love sending people books, because I, I could tell that if they read this book, they're going to have a better you know, opportunity to succeed. And I think that, as you said earlier on, it's ongoing. You know, it never stops happening and you just get better at it. That's why, you know, the, the word practice is in there a lot is that, you know, we really get better at it. And you know, struggles are the facts of life, right? It, you know, there's no way to avoid them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, as you were talking, an example came to me about, about right speech applied in kind of a business context. If we say right speech kind of applies to messaging about who you are, you know, famously Jeff Bezos would, when considering a new product to develop and launch, he would write a press release for it, right? To, to like, speak about it in a way and see if he could write about it in a way that sounded like the most amazing press release in the world of this great new product that he was going to launch. And he did this for, for Kindle, for Fire, for, you know, all of the, all of the things that they've done. And I'm sure many of the things that he didn't do, that's where he would start. So he would talk about himself. He would talk about his product in a way, which would then, you know, transform his own understanding of the value of of this potentiality so it's really you know it's it's um it's a very living process to to speak and act in wholeness yeah great example he's done a little he's done well since then I think. <laughs> he has a little bit you know um and you know i also just wanted to point out too that th these are things that apply to your life as well and understanding you know what's success and what's really important is something that i've spent a lot of time thinking about. And uh, I want to share like a personal story here, Paul. Um, uh, as you know, about six years ago, I had open heart surgery. I had a very serious condition and I'm, I'm very grateful to be alive and healthy today. And the thing that I learned in that period of time was that no matter what happened in business or money or anything, that if my heart didn't keep beating properly, none of it mattered. You know, and it was actually a very valuable lesson for my children, too. You know, all they cared about was that I survived and, and did well in the operation. And so I, I created a little trick for myself. Uh, I love to read the newspaper and every morning the newspapers at the end of the driveway. Shortly, my operation was on March 15th of 2017. And about two weeks later, I was able to get up and walk to the end of the driveway and pick up the newspaper. And I walked very slowly. And I would look down at the paper and I would say, 
Wow, it's April 1st. I'm, I made it. I'm so happy to be here and be able to get my newspaper. And then April 15th and May 1st. And after a while, uh, my strength came back and I was able to just walk quickly out to, the, to get the paper. But I decided that when I got about six feet away or so, I would slow down and imitate how I felt when I had uh, when I was in recovery. And I would just take those last few steps very slowly and I would look down at the paper and I would say, you know what? I'm still here. I did it this morning in August of 2023. And no matter what happens, you know, um, I know that it's going to be a good day because I'm healthy. And, you know, like I'll, I'll give you a quick example. Like the la last night um, I woke up in the middle of the night. I was worried about work, this and that, whatever. And I didn't sleep great. But this morning I went and got the newspaper and I'm like, all right, you know what? I'll, I'll, the work things will sort themselves out. But really success for me is a beating heart. And mm -hmm. it doesn't get much more, much more basic than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, um, that's the wisdom of, you know, impermanence. Um, when we really apply it to our own lives and to realize that, that life is in fact a condition with a death sentence, <laughs> none of us will avoid, you know, that eventuality. And, and we could also say that, you know, suffering as, as defined by the Buddha also there, there's no, it will always be here. You know, we will always have craving, aversion, and delusion. We, we will. We, that's just part of human nature is to have these things. But the cure isn't, in a sense, to make it go away. It's to relate to that, those conditions differently. Mm -hmm. It's to relate with them, re relate with them, not from such a self-centered place. Yeah, that's the, that's kind of the essence is to, um, not make it all about me and what I want and what I am protecting. Right. And then when, when we can open it up to, well, what wants to move through me, what wants to be created through me, what wants to express from me, what kind of relationship, you know, do is, is called for as I find my affinities and my loves, um, we, we aren't so grasping about those things. And then the things that we obtain and the things that we lose, um, we, we don't, we don't suffer from them. We just experience them whole, wholeheartedly. And then life becomes very interesting and that's happiness. Yeah. And, you know, also just, you know, suffering is going to be there, right? It, we, that's what we've learned um, throughout these lessons, you know, how we handle it really is the most important thing. And, you know, there's another uh, thing from Thich Nhat Hanh that I, I really enjoy. Uh, and it's really basically, you know, I am of the nature to grow old. I'm going to get sick and I'm going to die one day. And everybody that I love and care about, the same thing's going to happen. Right. So between now and then, you know, how do I how do I create happiness for myself and how do I avoid the suffering or not avoid, but how do I deal with it? and apply the eightfold path so that uh, it doesn't get me down. You know, I, I have my moments like everybody else, but they're very short. You know, it's like a wave, you know, I get a wave of anxiety about something and then the wave crashes to the shore and then I'm, I'm, I'm better again. So how do you deal with like the waves and, and how do you counsel other entrepreneurs to deal with it? Ride the waves. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Ride them. Don't, don't try to control them you know, really go with it, with everything. It's, it's like a surfing. Yeah. 
I'm not really good at surfing, but I, I, I'd like to be. But um, no, it, it is pretty it, it is pretty interesting because, you know, there's nothing. First of all, you can never go into the same river twice. It's always different. And, you know, how do you like look at it? What's what it looks like that day? Um, you know, and even there's I just thought of an, another interesting analogy with it, like what's going on with the climate these days, you know, and um, there's so many different things that are happening with our environment. Like one day it's sunny, the next day it's, a, you know, a flood and then there's a drought. And, and so things are constantly in our way. Um, but we the tools that we are learning here are the way to overcome everything that happens. It's uh, it's it's overcoming our um habits of resistance to what's happening, which is what's causing us suffering. Yeah, we're actually not overcoming the conditions, we're overcoming our own habits, and we're transforming yeah. those habits. This is all profound inner work. That is, when I say I, I don't like to, to use the word profound sometimes, because it sounds in, in, intimidating, but but it's just deep, you know, deep, deep work that we're doing on ourselves just to look at our habits, and not to let them control us. And so that's why you, I, I can't surf either. Like I've only tried standing up on a boogie board, you know, and I can bar barely do that. It's, yeah. it's really difficult, you know, physically to have control of all of those muscles. But what you're doing internally is you're establishing a, a certain, uh, you know, discipline of your body, obviously a kind of a training and a discipline of your body mind, right? That allows you to be extremely flexible and adaptive, right? Mm -hmm. Those those surfers, I mean, I imagine they have these, these microscopic control of their muscles to be able to like make all of those shifts of balance as those big waves, you know, come through. I love watching them down, down in the waves in Hawaii. They're just, mm -hmm. just phenomenal. And we can really do that with our minds, with our body minds, is to develop a nuanced feeling of how they're moving with conditions. And if we're rigid, you know, I always, I always respond this way when the, when the sales numbers are down, I always respond this way when my wife gives me that look, you know, <laughs> that's where the suffering is coming from is from that rigidity. But if we have a resilience and a fluidity to our functioning of body mind, then we just go with it and we roll, we go with the flow. I'm glad you brought up training, too, because one one analogy that I look at, too, is that, you know, I, I like to go to the gym and I like to get my cardio and lift some weights and, you know, uh, swim, etc. And I, I think of the mind, the body mind is the same thing. It's like a muscle that needs to be trained. Yeah. And and the more that you spend time like learning and training, the easier it, it comes back to you very quickly. And so um, I just wanted you to like uh, talk about like practicing. And you've had 30 years, I've had a lot less, but I'm getting there, you know, and the more that I practice, the more that these things sort of click very quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. I mean, practice makes more perfect. It's there's no end to it. But um, right from the beginning, you know, if you start a meditation practice, even if it's 10 minutes a day of just watching yourself and allowing yourself to be body mind, just be still, watch your mind watch your breath, um, you, you develop a, um, you, I could say your nervous system actually starts to develop associations and 
become trained in, in a certain kind of resiliency that you're able to be more present and less reactive to conditions. So right from the beginning, and of course, studies have shown this, that in the short term, you know, two months, 60 days of 10 to 20 minutes a day produce measurable effects. Meditators have known this forever. And now that the neuroscience is catching up and beginning to be able to measure these things. So you see effects, you know, right from the beginning and the effects continue just over the months and the years and the decades, more and more the body mind can be almost infinitely tuned to be uh, incredibly sensitive and re incredibly responsive to conditions as they present themselves. Uh, for sure. I mean, and, and I I've definitely am uh, practicing as much as I can and I'm a lot better than I was, but I, there's a lot, there's a long way to go too. You know, mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm never like fully there, but I just want to add one thing. It's not hard to do this. Um, some people say to me, like, I, I can't I just can't meditate or it's too hard or I don't have time. Um, I always say, you know, take a few deep breaths and sit there and <laughs> take three <laughs> deep breaths. Start there. And then next time, take six and ten and so on. So mm -hmm. I just encourage people to try and, and give it your best shot and good things will happen. Um, so that's one thing. And of course, always like to talk about books, Paul, you know, got to read. And so for me, it's been practicing. It's been reading. It's been working with you and then applying these things, you know, on a daily basis. So I actually have two book recommendations today. One is called uh, The Noble Eightfold Path, The Way to the End of Suffering by Bhikkhu Bodhi. And I really like this because it simplifies each one of the eightfold path. It doesn't go into tons of detail. There's other books for that, but it gives you the big overview, um, which I really like. Um, and the second one, which goes back to how do we define success and what other people think of it is The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Mason. And I, I read this years ago and the subtle, the key is the word subtle. We can't just go through life not caring about anything. But what do we how do we decide day to day? you know, what we should care about and what we shouldn't. And it's something that I'm still working on, but I now have this baseline of like, I don't really have to care about every single person's opinion of what's going on. Um, there's certain people's opinion that means more than others. So I highly recommend those two books. And now we have our closing meditation from Paul. So take it away. Okay, for this one, it's a it's a three part meditation. We'll do about one minute for each of these questions. So I'll invite everyone to close your eyes to establish a, a firm and alert posture, whether you're sitting or standing or lying down. And take a deep breath. Where is the suffering in this moment? Is there any suffering in this moment? How about now?
Is there any unhappiness in this moment? Where is it? Can you find it in your body? Are there words attached to any feeling of unhappiness? Bring those words to mind. Repeat them, if any come. You might ask, are those words true? Return to the body feelings, the feeling of your breath, the feeling of your belly, the feeling of your heart, feelings in your brow, in your face. Just examine them, feel them. Where is the suffering in this moment? Is there any failure right now? If there are words attached, examine them. Are they true? Where is their failure right now? Where is the suffering in this moment? Oh, that was great. Thanks, Paul. I think one thought that I had too was that the, the, the questions were great. And the more that I got into my breathing, the more I could like answer those questions. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think you sort of get into a zone, you know, the first couple of minutes, you, you, you know, concentrate on calming down and your breathing. And then the mind starts to go down those those paths. And uh, that was really great. Thank you. Great. Awesome. All right. We'll be back soon with another new episode. So for now, we encourage you to sign up for the Zen at Work newsletter. Uh, contact Sensei Paul to schedule a coaching discovery session. And subscribe and comment wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you very much, Paul. 
Yeah, thank you, Scott. I've really enjoyed it. And thank you everyone for listening. Thank you for joining us on this exploration into Zen Buddhism and its transformative influence on work and life. We hope you'll subscribe, share, and comment wherever you get your podcasts. May your journey be one of continuous growth and mindful living. From all of us here at Game of Zen, wishing you peace and prosperity on your path ahead.